0: The headlines tonight. Norad tracks Santa after phone mix-up. Imeit seeds divide. Soviets send troops to Afghanistan. And British and German soldiers sing Christmas carols. Me semi's Plus, coming up, the Queen reveals her plans to invade the Falklands. Those are the headlines. Now, Santa, where are
1: you? Newsbang, The unvarnished truth in living colour. The Dainzines at T-Stin, a Saito-Titon 55. Well, it's that time of year
0: again, folks. The North American Aerospace Defence Command, or NORAD as they're known to their elves, have begun their annual charade of tracking a fictional character in the sky. Yes, you guessed it, Santa Claus is back. For some reason in 1955, NORAD decided to humor a group of misdialing children and started this absurd tradition of tracking Saint Nick as he supposedly delivers presents to good girls and boys around the world. How on earth can a portly man with a reindeer-drawn sleigh evade radar?
2: Well, according to NORAD spokesperson Eggnog McTinseltoe, Santa's sleigh is equipped with stealth technology that rivals our own. Pull the other one.
0: Anyway, starting tonight at 2300 Hours GMT, NORAD will be providing updates on Kringle's whereabouts on their website and hotline. So if you're bored enough to care about the whereabouts of an imaginary fat man in a red suit, feel free to waste your time. 1979. Breaking news from the front lines of the Cold War, where the Soviet Union and Afghanistan are locked in a bloody conflict over who can grow the bushiest beard. The Soviets, led by Leonid Brezhnev, or Uncle Leonid as he's known to his victims, have been caught with their pants down by the fierce Afghan resistance fighters, who have been hiding in caves and popping out to go boo.
2: The war has caused widespread devastation across Afghanistan, with entire villages flattened and replaced with IKEA furniture. Thousands of civilians have been caught up in the fighting, many of them forced to choose between life under Soviet rule or a life on the run with sting.
0: Meanwhile, back in Moscow, rumours abound that all is not well within the Kremlin. Sources close to Brezhnev say he's increasingly paranoid and prone to long rambling diatribes about how he could have been a ballet dancer if it weren't for his mother-in-law. As for Afghanistan, there are fears that if this goes on much longer, they'll all end up living in Pakistan. 1914 British and German soldiers have laid down their arms and started playing football in no man's land. The truce which began on Christmas Eve has been described as utterly balmy by commanding officers on both sides. Soldiers exchanged gifts of cigarettes and rations before kicking off a game of kick-to-kick in the muddy wasteland between their trenches.
2: Private Thomas Frobisher of the 3rd Battalion Wiltshire Rifles said, It's bloody mental, isn't it? One minute we're trying to kill each other, next thing you know we're sharing schnapps and singing Silent Night together.
0: The truce has not been without its casualties, however, Private Helmut Schultz of the 12th Prussian Grenadiers was taken out by a well-placed tackle from Corporal James Tank Thompson. The match ended in a draw at 2-2 with the Germans winning on penalties.
1: News Bang! The news for the brain, the truth for the soul.
0: Presenting the weather forecast for this festive day, Shakanaka Giles brings us a crisp and frosty Christmas Eve. A crisp and frosty Christmas Eve morning awaits us as if Jack Frost has been busy doodling on every window pane. The perfect backdrop for festive strolls and rosy cheeks. By midday, the sun will peek through, gifting us a bright and cheery day A bit like a jolly Santa, winking at us from behind his thick, white beard. In the evening, expect a gentle dusting of snow, just enough to give the world a magical, wintry touch. It's as if the sky is sprinkling icing sugar over the landscape. So whether you're indoors or out, enjoy the weather and have a wonderful Christmas. And that's all the weather.
1: 1979
0: The year is 1979 and the Soviet-Afghan War has begun, a protracted conflict between the Soviet Union and the Afghan Mujahideen. The war caused significant destruction in Afghanistan and contributed to the dissolution of the Soviet Union, marking the end of the Cold War. Brian Bastable is on the line from Afghanistan, bringing us a special report on the war's progression and its impact on the region.
3: Brian, what's the latest? The year is 1979. The Soviet-Afghan war rages on. The Soviet Union, a colossus of power, has taken up arms against the Afghan Mujahideen, a force of guerrilla fighters. As I stand here, the air is thick with the stench of gunpowder and the screams of the dying. The ground beneath me is a quagmire of blood and mud, a testament to the brutal nature of this conflict. The Soviet Union, a titan of the Cold War, has thrown its full might behind this war. Tanks roll across the landscape, their cannons blazing while fighter jets scream through the sky, leaving trails of smoke in their wake. But the Afghan Mujahideen are no pushovers. They are a force to be reckoned with, a group of fighters who have been battle-hardened by years of war. They are masters of guerrilla warfare, striking quickly and then disappearing into the shadows. The war has caused significant destruction in Afghanistan, reducing entire cities to rubble. The countryside is scarred by the passage of tanks and the detonation of bombs. But this war is not just a battle between two armies. It is a battle between two ideologies, two ways of life. The Soviet Union seeks to impose its communist ideology on Afghanistan, while the Mujahideen fight to preserve their way of life. This war has contributed to the dissolution of the Soviet Union, marking the end of the Cold War. It is a conflict that has shaped the world we know today. As I stand here, I am reminded of the cost of war, the lives lost, the destruction wrought, and the scars left behind. This is the Soviet-Afghan War, a conflict that will be remembered for generations to come. Brian Bastable. Newsbang. Somewhere in the heart of the battlefield. 2021.
0: In a shocking incident, Myanmar's military, the Tatmadaw, has been accused of perpetrating the Muso massacre in Kaya state, leaving over 40 civilians dead. This tragic event unfolded on Christmas Eve in H. Pruso Township, where troops reportedly killed and burned innocent people. Myanmar, also known as Burma, has been grappling with ethnic insurgencies since its independence in 1948. The military's stronghold has been challenged by various groups, including the Kareni people, who primarily inhabit Kaya State. To shed more light on this developing story, we turn to our correspondent, Ken Shit.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, gather round as we journey to the land of Myanmar, where the sun never sets on a bloody mess. It's Christmas Eve, but for the people of Mo, so it's just another day in hell. In a place called Kaya State, home to the Kareni ethnic group, Burmese military forces have been wreaking havoc like a pack of rabid hyenas. Over 40 innocent civilians were brutally murdered in cold blood in a massacre that would make even the most hardened war criminal blush. The Tatmadaw, Myanmar's military, has been causing chaos since independence in 1948. They've suppressed protests, ignored election results and imprisoned their own citizens like common criminals. And let's not forget about their ongoing conflict with the Rohingya Muslims in Rakhine State, a conflict that has escalated into genocide. But Moso, that's where things really hit the fan. On this very day in 2021, Myanmar army troops descended upon a Prusso township like a plague of locusts, leaving nothing but death and destruction in their wake. They killed men, women and children without mercy or remorse. All while setting buildings ablaze and laughing maniacally like they were starring in their own personal horror movie. This is not just a tragedy, it's an atrocity and it's happening right now in broad daylight with no one to stop them. The world is watching as these monsters continue their reign of terror and we are powerless to do anything about it. So, here's to you. Burmese military forces, may your Christmas be filled with the same joy and laughter that you bring to the lives of innocent civilians every single day. You are truly the gift that keeps on giving, a gift that nobody wants or needs. Merry Christmas from all of us here at Newsbank.
1: 1973.
0: The year is 1973 and the US Congress has granted Home Rule to Washington DC allowing its residents to elect their own mayor and city council. This historic decision has been met with jubilation, as the district, named after George Washington, is now on the path to self-governance. But what does this mean for the future of the capital city? Will this newfound autonomy lead to a renaissance in urban development? Or will it sow the seeds of chaos and disarray? To delve into the intricacies of this groundbreaking decision
5: we turn to our resident political analyst, Hardiman Pesto. Good evening, Martin. I'm here in the heart of Washington, D.C., the capital city of the United States, where Congress has just granted home rule to the district. Home rule, Pesto? Are you sure you're not talking about a new Netflix series? No, Martin, I'm talking about the historic decision that allows Washington, D.C. residents to elect their own mayor and city council. And how many residents does Washington, D.C. have, Pesto? Approximately 700,000. And how many voting members does Congress have? 535.
0: So let me get this straight, Pesto. A city with 0.17% of the voting power of Congress now has the ability to govern itself. Is that correct?
5: Well, when you put it that way, Martin... How else would I put it, Pesto? The numbers are the numbers. I suppose you're right, Martin. But it's still a significant step towards self-determination for the residents of Washington, D.C., Self-determination, Pesto? Or is it just a way for Congress to shift the blame when things go wrong? I don't
0: think that's fair, Martin. Fair, Pesto. I'm not here to be fair. I'm here to report the news. And the
5: news is that Washington, D.C. has been given a tiny slice of the pie while Congress gets to keep the rest. I see your point, Martin. But I still think this is a positive development for the city and its residents. We'll see, Pesto. We'll see.
1: News Bang A bold and brave broadcast bringing the truth to light.
0: Polly Beep brings us a report on the day's travel chaos and historical transportation tragedies. From napping steamrollers to time-travelling Victorians, it's a wild ride on the roads and rails.
6: Greetings, commuters. It's a day of mixed fortunes on our roads and rails. In 1953, the unfortunate events of Tangawai, New Zealand, unfolded. A railway bridge collapsed, causing a devastating mudslide and the loss of 151 lives. The tragedy was the result of a Tifra Dam giving way, unleashing a Laha that brought the bridge crashing down. In 1983, Aeroflot Flight 601 met a tragic end as it plummeted towards Leshykonskoye in the Russian SSR. The pilot's error led to the loss of 44 lives. Leshykonskoye, a rural locality in Arkhangelsk Oblast, bore witness to this heartbreaking accident. As for our present day, well, we're experiencing a whirlwind of delays and diversions. On the M1, we've got a steamroller taking a nap in the fast lane, causing a massive traffic jam. The M2 is a mess too, with a lorry having lost its load of porridge. Be careful not to slip. The A1 is also undergoing a curious transformation. Rumour has it that a time-travelling gang of Victorian gentle souls is attempting to build a railway bridge over it. Keep your eyes peeled for top hats and goggles. In closing, remember, if you're heading to the airport, pack a spare pair of underpants. The M3, as you may know, has become a giant water slide due to an unexpected leak. Happy motoring, everyone. This is Polly Beep, signing off with a wave and a cheerful toot of my imaginary
1: horn. 1968.
0: Calamity Prenderville, our science correspondent, takes us on a journey to 1968 when the British claimed their Rightful place among the stars with the Apollo 8 mission. A tale of innovation, adventure and, of course, tea.
7: Tonight, we're time-travelling to 1968 when British innovation reached new heights. Or should I say, new heights above the moon. That's right, folks, it's the 55th anniversary of Apollo 8 the first human spaceflight to reach and orbit the moon. And who was at the helm? None other than Jim Lovell, a man so British, he probably had tea and crumpets in space. The Apollo 8 crew didn't just orbit the moon, they witnessed and photographed the far side. It's like they were the first tourists to the moon, snapping selfies with the lunar landscape. But the real gem is the Earthrise photograph, a snapshot so powerful, it's been called the most influential environmental photograph ever taken.
2: How did the British
0: manage to get their tea-loving hands on this lunar mission? Well, it's all thanks to our secret weapon, the British Tea Cozy. That's right, folks. The Apollo 8 spacecraft was insulated with layers of the finest British wool, ensuring the crew stayed warm and toasty during their lunar adventure. And let's not forget the British-made zero-gravity teapot, a marvel of engineering that allowed the crew to enjoy a proper cup of tea while orbiting the Moon. It's a testament to British ingenuity and a reminder that no matter where we go, we always take our tea with us.
7: So, here's to Apollo 8, a mission that proved that British innovation can reach new heights. Or, should I say, new heights above the Moon – This is Calamity Prenderville from Newsbang, signing off. Happy Christmas, everyone!
1: Newsbang, taking the pulse of the people and the pulse of the news. 1871 Today, in
0: 1871, the world of opera was forever changed by the debut of Aida, one of Verdi's most beloved works. This tragic tale unfolded on the grand stage of Cairo, Egypt, the jewel of Africa and the heart of ancient Egyptian culture. Verdi, the illustrious Italian composer, wove a timeless masterpiece that has since graced stages across the globe. To delve deeper into the intrigue surrounding Ida's premiere, we now turn to our roving reporter, Smithsonian Moss.
3: Now at this point of the evening we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us.
8: Waho, Newsbang Nation. It's your girl, Smithsonian Moss, and I'm here to take you on a wild ride through the annals of history. We're going back, way back, to the year 1871, when the world was a much simpler place. You know, back in the day, people didn't have Netflix or TikTok to keep them entertained. They had to make their own fun. And let me tell you, it was a wild time. So, what was happening in 1871, you ask? Well... Let me paint you a picture. Imagine a world where the only thing streaming was the yellow river of piss that flowed through the streets of London. A world where the only thing trending was the bubonic plague, and the only thing viral was smallpox. But it wasn't all bad, folks. In fact, 1871 was a banner year for some of the most iconic moments in history. For instance, did you know that this was the year that the Great Chicago Fire swept through the city? leaving a trail of destruction in its wake? It was like the original Black Mirror episode, but with more horse poop and fewer smartphones. And let's not forget about the other major event of 1871, the Paris Commune. It was like the original Occupy Wall Street, but with more beheadings and fewer hashtags. But you know what the real tea is? The Paris Commune was a total mess. It was like the world's worst episode of Real Housewives, but with more bloodshed and fewer cocktails. So there you have it, my people. 1871, the year that brought us the Great Chicago Fire, the Paris Commune, and the Bubonic Plague. It was a wild time, and I, for one, am glad that we've come a long way since then. But hey, who knows what the future holds. Maybe in another 150 years we'll be looking back on our own time with the same sense of wonder and amazement. Until then, keep it locked on Newsbang for all the latest news, both grave and trivial. Waho!
1: Newsbang, a pillar of truth in the shadow of deception.
0: And now, one last look at tomorrow's headlines. The Times, Putin's Soviet anthem U-turn. The Telegraph, Gorbachev's socialist U-turn. The Guardian, Hong Kong surrenders to Japanese onslaught. Yam: both of us The Sun, Putin's Soviet bop causes controversy. The Mirror, Gorbachev's democracy twist. And finally, The Kringle, Hong Kong falls to sushi invasion. That's it for tonight's Newsbang. Join us tomorrow when we'll be asking, why are there no biscuits in the sea? Good night. And don't forget to wear a paper bag on your head if
1: you're going out tonight. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.